0: I want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. Welcome to all of you that are watching online. Uh, A few months ago, I I started a series here called People in Passages, where each weekend I I looked at the life of some biblical person or persons that I think every Christian should know about. And and then we looked at some uh, passage that I thought every Christian should know and understand. Well, we took a, a break to celebrate Easter, and then I did a little two-week miniseries on understanding the Word of God. And today we're going to jump back into uh, the series minus the, the passage part of it, at, at least for uh, this weekend. Now, so far we've looked at Adam and Eve. That was uh, the very first week. We looked at the very first two human beings. And we looked at the very first uh, children that ever were born. That was Cain and Abel. Then we looked at the life of Noah. That was the man that built the ark. We looked at Joseph, the son of Jacob that was sold into slavery and rose to be the second most powerful man in in Egypt. We looked at Moses, the man that God used to lead the Israelites out of bondage. We looked at the life of uh, Joshua, who was Moses' right-hand man who led the Jews into the Promised Land. And today we're going to look at a man by the name of Saul. Saul was Israel's uh, first King, uh, was was Israel's first king. Now, the book of Judges ends this way, okay? Judges chapter uh, 21 says, In those days, in the days of Saul, who we're going to talk about, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. In other words, everybody just did whatever they wanted. There was no king. There wasn't anybody saying, hey, wait a minute. No, this is wrong. This is right. There was no moral compass, if it felt good, you just kind of did it. Sounds a little bit like America today, in my humble opinion. There's just no great moral leadership anymore, and everybody's just kind of doing whatever they want to do, and and, and um, that was uh, the, the the state of the nation of Israel, right right there. Few people feared God, most people were worshiping all different kinds of idols, sin and rebellion were running rampant in the land, even the high priests and those that served him in the temple, they were all goofed up. The the nation of Israel was in bad shape, okay? This is the the backdrop to 1 Samuel, uh, which is where we read about the life of, of Saul, at least a piece of it. Now, before I get into chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, uh, I want to kind of give you a little overview of the first nine chapters. In chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a woman named Hannah. Some of you have heard the name Hannah. I actually thought about doing Hannah, but but she didn't make the the cut. Uh, In the midst of all kinds of sin and rebellion, this woman named Hannah prays, And she asks God for a son. And she promises to dedicate him to the Lord and to the Lord's service. Well, God hears her prayers and God blesses her with a son. And she names that son Samuel. Okay? Now, after Samuel was born, Hannah kept her promise to God and dedicated Samuel back to the Lord's service. That's basically what you find in chapter one. In chapter two, Hannah continues to pray for her son as he grows up and matures during these really uh, wicked times. And I think that there's really something for all of us, parents and grandparents, in in how Hannah really not only prayed for her son, but actually raised her son, uh, Samuel, In chapter 3, Samuel continues to grow and mature in his relationship with God. In fact, he actually has a personal encounter with God in chapter 3. And everyone in the land begins to recognize Samuel as as God's mouthpiece. You see, back in the Old Testament, they didn't have this. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the Word of God. And so God spoke through prophets, if you will. And everybody now is starting to go, hey, this, this Samuel guy... There's something really, really unique about him, something special about him. In chapter 4, things are, are really bad. This is a, a really dark chapter. The Jews have turned their backs on God and his laws, and, and God's really fed up with him. God's patience, you know, runs out, and, and he begins to deal with the sin of his people. And, and that's kind of the method of operandi, if you will, with God. Um, he's a very gracious God. He's a very patient God, but there does come a moment, you know, when like um, my mom used to say to me, Ricky, I've had it up to here. <laughs> have your parents ever said to you, I've had it up to here. And I used to go, oh, I got that much room left. I'm gone. <laughs> and when your mother says to you, I've had it up to here. That's it. That's a full thing. There's no more your toes. Well, God's had it up to here. And uh, he's going to begin to you know, deal with the sin of, uh, of the people. Israel gets pummeled in two battles against the Philistines. You know, you've heard about the Philistines. The Philistines were the arch enemies, if you will, of, of Israel. And they get in these two battles. And after they lose the first battle, they thought that there was, you know, power in the Ark of the Covenant. They thought there was power in this box, if you will, sort of like, you know, Indiana Jones. So they took the Ark of the Covenant into the second battle with them. They were trusting in the box. They were worshiping the box. They didn't care about the God of the box. They weren't worshiping him. They just thought that there was power in the Ark and so they take the Ark into the second battle. Well, they lost that battle too which means they also lost the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was now in the hands of the Philistines. And this chapter ends, chapter 4 ends with Eli, the high priest, dying along with his two, you know, crummy, evil sons. As I said, this is a a really dark chapter, chapter 4. In chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, the judgment of God continues to be, you know, poured out against sin. You get to chapter 6, and the Ark of the Covenant is returned to Israel, but the people are still goofed up with sin. They haven't returned to God. In chapter 7, God uses Samuel to lead the people back to himself, the people finally repent and cry out to God for forgiveness. In chapter 8, Samuel has to, um, uh, he, he kind of, he, he has his sons, and he asks his sons to kind of take over, if you will, and um, they, they were evil, he had two wicked sons, and um, and, and the people recognize these two boys' wickedness. And so in chapter 8, the, 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 the people cry out that they want to be like every other nation. They don't want God leading them. They want a king. See? They want to be like all the other nations. All the other nations have a king. So, hey, hey Samuel, we want a king too. And that wasn't a good thing. If you had your choice between having the Lord lead you or a king lead you, who do you pick? You pick the Lord. In chapter nine, God grants the people their wish and he raises up Saul to be their king. He was about 30 years old when he became the king and he reigned for about 40 years. And the majority of those 40 years was was not good. Now, this brings us to chapter 10. And if you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And there are two important thoughts about Saul that I, I want to make, okay? And um, may, may the Lord speak to you through his, his word here. Uh, thought number one, God did all that he could to ensure that Saul would be a great king. Uh, even though it wasn't a good thing that the people had rejected God as their king, God still did everything he could to ensure that Paul would be a great king. Look look, look at verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul. Remember, Samuel is God's spokesman. Everybody knows it. So this is God speaking through Samuel here. He kissed Saul and he said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special people. He's letting Saul in on something here. Saul, these are, these are God's special people. It's like when my daughter would go out on a date. And before she could go out on a date, the, the boy had to meet with me. And I basically said the same thing. Son, I want you to know, humanly speaking, next to my wife, that's my most prized possession. There isn't anything I own or have outside of my wife, humanly speaking, other than the Lord, that is more valuable to me. You getting it, son? <laughs> Samuel saying, Saul, you've been raised up. You're the king. You're going to oversee God's special people. You're going to be the one. Look at verse 6. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Verse 9 As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. Verse 24. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one is, you know, no one in all of Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Beloved, when you look at all these verses, you see God doing all that he can to ensure that Saul's going to be a great king. God handpicks him. God anoints him with oil. God makes his will clear to him. God sends His spirit to empower him. God changes him into a different person. He gave him a new heart. And finally, you know, Saul was introduced to the people as God's hand-chosen man. There's no doubt that God wanted Saul to succeed. Just like he wants you, Christian, to succeed. He wants you to live a God-honoring life. He wants you to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. God's done everything that he can to ensure that you would live a great God-honoring life. Think about it. Just like Saul, God handpicked you to be a part of his family. The Bible says this in John chapter 15. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. And I appointed that you would go bear fruit, fruit that would last. I know that somehow in our vocabulary, and, and it's the only way that we can kind of describe our relationship with the Lord, we, we, we say things like this, I gave my life to, the Christ, uh, to Christ. I accepted Christ. I gave my life to the Lord, you know. Like somehow you had something to do with it. You really didn't. Somehow the spirit of the Lord began to move in your life. God began to draw you to himself. God began to open your eyes to the truth of your sin and all of that kind of stuff. The truth that that you couldn't save yourself. Somehow God revealed to you that Jesus was the Messiah who came to cleanse you of your sin. It was all God's doing. And I do think that as it relates to a relationship with him, there is this small component of a free will that we have. Where at that moment, you either humble yourself and give your life over to him, or you harden your heart and say, no, I don't want him. I want to be the king of my own life. Just like Saul, God has given you his Holy Spirit to indwell you and empower you, Ephesians chapter 1, there's this great prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians, and thus he prays for us. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. There isn't any other power available greater than raising somebody from the dead. There's no infomercials out there where you can buy a product, get it, rub it on, you know, a a body, and it comes back to life. You can't do it. And Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, his prayer for us, is that we would have a, a deep understanding of the power that is within us as believers. Because we have God's spirit in us, you see. Beloved, God wants you to succeed. He, he wanted Saul to succeed, but God allows you to make choices about how you'll live. God allows you to make the choice as to whether you'll tap into his power for your life or whether you'll tap into your own fleshly power. You get to make that call. It's your choice. Saul had to, to make the same choice. And at first, for about the first year or two, he did well. He made the, the right choices. He started off great, but he ended just horribly. He, he, he did well at first. He had a great beginning as the king. He had a, a, a very humble heart in the beginning. Look at verse 13. When Saul had finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship. Where have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We were looking for the donkeys, Saul replied, but we couldn't find them. So we went to Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, and what did he say? His uncle asked. He told us that the donkeys had already been found, Saul replied, but Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel said about the kingdom. And as I read that, that indicated to me that he's got a humble heart here. I mean, he could have said, hey, uncle, (laughs) hey, I'm the first king. I'm it. What do you think about that? God picked me to be the king. I've been anointed with oil. My heart's been changed. I have the power of God in my life. He didn't do any of that. He's kind of taking this whole thing in. Look at verse 20. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the uh, was was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. This is a guy who's kind of starting off humbly. He, he, he's taking all this in. Man, I'm, I'm the king. I was anointed. Samuel anointed me. I'm the chosen guy. Me? And instead of, you know, walking out going, eh. You know, hey, gotcha. He's, he's hiding in the, you know, in the bushes. It's almost like he doesn't want any part of this. He's trying, to, he's trying to kind of figure this whole thing out. Look at verse 26. When Saul returned to his home, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But there were some scoundrels who complained. How can this man save us? And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts. But Saul Saul just ignored him. He's the king. If he wanted to, he could have gone, hey, look, here's my first act as king. You guys in prison, you don't mock the king. You don't. Screw around with the king. I'm the king here, man. How dare you say things like that? Now get in the prison cell, I'm off with your head. But he didn't do that. He just kind of ignored it. All this to say, I I think Saul started with a humble heart, which is, in my opinion, one of the great characteristics of 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 a leader. And that's humility. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. Uh, lord willing if next week comes and god doesn't come back or whatever we're going to talk about humility in fact if i had to you know pick the one character you know trait that seems to be the most sought after by god i think i'd choose humility being a humble person is critical to the christian and his relationship with god living humbly is what keeps you connected to god's you know, power within you. Listen to the words from the prophet Micah. What can we bring the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of of oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, no. O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. That you do right, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. That you just you just make the decision to to do what's what's right. Follow him. Live with mercy in your soul and to just walk humbly before God. That's, that's what God wants. Ephesians chapter four says this, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. First Peter chapter five says, In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he'll lift you up to honor. I've... um, always thought about that particular passage and James says basically the same thing as Peter says that God opposes the proud and and you know when you think about it believer um, if there's one person you don't want to be in opposition with it's God I mean I can be in opposition with you and probably go about my day and nothing's You know, big deal. I can be in opposition with I don't know the political leaders, but the one person you don't want to be in opposition to is God. And and the Bible says that He opposes the proud. That's what He opposes. But, but something unbelievable happens when you just live humbly before him. When you understand who you are in relationship to who he is. When you understand that he's God, he's the creator. Um, the, the reason why you're here right now Listening is because his grace is keeping your hearts beating. And even those of you who are here and you don't even know him, you don't even believe in him, God's common grace is being poured out on your life right now by virtue of the fact he's keeping your heart beating. God's common grace to those of you who don't even know him is that probably when you go home tonight, you'll have food to eat. That's his common grace. You don't even know him, you don't even believe in him, you don't even care about him, maybe you use his name in vain, and God's common grace still keeps your heart beating. But for those of us that do know him, wow, you just, You you just need to walk humbly before him. And when you walk humbly before him, he promises that he'll lift you up. He promises that he'll he'll make something unbelievable out of your life. Even in in the midst of all your sin and junk and stuff, because next week, Lord willing, when we look at the life of David... That guy was so goofed up, it was unbelievable. But there was a humility about his life, unlike Saul. Things are gonna change. As I said, I believe Saul began his reign as Israel's first king with a humble heart. I believe that Saul honored the Lord with his life, which is why he found favor with God in the beginning. Now, unfortunately, he's not gonna end his reign with a humble heart. This thing's gonna go right to his head. Yes, pun intended. And it's gonna change everything in his life. Unfortunately, Saul makes some choices that are gonna cost him dearly. In fact, listen to what God says about Saul in chapter 15. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel loved Saul. And here the Lord is speaking to Samuel, saying, You know what? I'm sorry that I ever made him. Sorry. He has not remained loyal to me. Wow. You know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I couldn't help when I read that, folks. You know, that's just a brutal verse, verse 10 and 11 of 1 Samuel 15, just brutal. And and I couldn't help but think, you know, wow. I I can live in a way that grieves God. I can live in a way that grieves him. Now, uh, he's always my father. That doesn't change. I'm going to heaven, you know. But I can certainly make um, choices to live in a particular way and not obey what God says. And I don't think God ever says to us today that I'm sorry I ever made Rick. I don't think he says that today. But I know I can grieve him in how I choose to live. Saul did something that really made God mad here. You you can't miss that. He did something that literally cost him his job as the king. And I'm going to tell you what that is in just a moment. Now, in my opinion, I think every Christian needs to think about what the the, the last chapter of their life is going to say. Because Saul started great. And and I, I, I I thought about doing maybe two or three weeks on Saul, but I'm not going to. He starts great. You see all those great passages where... Man, Samuel, God is having Samuel just do everything he can, man. But but he ends horribly. I mean, it is an ugly ending to this man's life. And I think it's something that every one of us needs to think about. I I don't know what chapter of your life you're in, in, in terms of your walk with the Lord. I don't. None of us know. You you don't know when your heart's going to stop beating. You don't know when. But probably if you were to think back on your life, you know, I gave my life to Christ when I was a teenager. I gave my life to Christ when I was in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s. I gave my life to Christ last week. When you think about the chapters, you've probably had some great chapters. Maybe you're in a great chapter right now. Walking with the Lord, serving the Lord. Man, his word matters. You're loyal to him and his word and all those things, you know. And that's great. That's how Saul started. But I think one of the things you have to think about is, man, what about the next chapter or the last chapter? Some of you right now might be going, no, Pastor, (laughs) Uh, that was about four chapters ago in my life. Right now, the chapter in my life is I'm a lot like Saul. I don't know where you're at right now. The good news is, if you're in a crummy chapter, tonight's the night you begin a new one. Or you can. If, you, if you're in a good place and you're honoring the Lord of your life, and praise the Lord, but you still need to think about the last chapter when it's all said and done, you know, what's your life going to what's your life going to say? I think the great apostle Paul was worried about ending up like Saul. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, "Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize?" So, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. As I, My relationship with God has purpose in it, man. I'm not goofing around with this thing. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I think, I think Saul was thinking about the last chapter. Hey man, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm disciplined, I'm moving, man, I'm not goofing around with this thing called my, my journey of faith. I, I, I'm disciplined, I'm on this thing, but you know what? <laughs> he knew that he could do something He could make a choice that would disqualify him, not from being a Christian, but disqualify him from being a preacher of the gospel. It was somewhere rattling around in in his mind. And I want you to know, this is a huge concern for me. You and I are no different than Saul. Saul. I'm no different than Saul. As I said earlier, God did everything that he could to ensure that you would live a life that honors him. He he created you, he loved you, he chose you, he saved you, he lives in you, he he empowers you, he he listens to you, he cares about you, he has a plan for your life, he has a home waiting for you in, in heaven. He gave you his word and the list goes on and on and on, but like Saul, we can make the choice that will ruin his plan for our lives. It could disqualify us from whatever it is that God has planned for us, or what God's doing in your life right now. So what did Paul do that was so crummy? what, What did he do that made God so mad? What did he do that lost him his job as the king? Well, 1 Samuel 15 says this, okay? You want to turn there, you can, or it's in your notes, I think. It'll be on the jumbotrons. One day, now listen to this. Just, just listen, okay? I'll read it with me here. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. Saul, let me remind you, the reason why you're the king is because God made you the king. Okay? Just reminding you, Saul, how you got the position, how you're in the place that you're in. Don't forget, Saul, you're here because of God. And now God has a message. This is what the Lord of, uh, of heaven's army has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with uh, the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, Children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Okay? So so God made His will crystal clear. I'm Samuel. Now, we have this. They didn't have this, but God gave uh, Saul Samuel. Samuel says, Remember, I'm the one who anointed you because God wanted me anointed you, and, and now God has a message for you. Here's what you're supposed to do, crystal clear. No ambiguity there, crystal clear. So Saul mobilized his army, and there were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. And Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Canaanites or the Kenites move away from where the Amalekites live, or you're going to die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came in, uh, up from Egypt. So the Kenites uh, the, the packed up and they left, okay? Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites, slaughtered them. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared. Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fatted calves, and the lambs, everything in fact that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. That's not what God said. God didn't say take the king captive. God didn't say that. God didn't say, hey. Keep all the best goats. Keep all the best sheep. Keep all the best cattle. Just get rid of the crummy stuff. God didn't say that. God was crystal clear. Unbelievably crystal clear. Saul, do you understand who you are in comparison to him? God made it simple, Saul. Saul. And Saul? Crown went to his head, I guess. It doesn't matter what God says. I'm gonna change up the plan, God. I got the crown now. I'm just gonna do whatever I want. Hey guys, take the king captive. There's a lot of good-looking sheep in there, a lot of good-looking goats, a lot of good-looking cows, and we'll, we'll take a... It doesn't matter what his motive was. He's blowing God off. This passage goes on and says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command.'" What, what did Saul do that was so crummy? What did Saul do that made God so mad? What, what did Saul do that caused him to lose favor with God? Well, this brings me to my second thought, and that is this Saul made the choice to disobey God. That's all he did. He just spared some sheep, spared some goats. Just disobey. Um, I don't know if we, you know, from, from cover to cover, living humbly before God and obeying what he says, um, pretty important. God doesn't give out suggestions, you see. He's God. He's God. And we're we're nothing but His creation. In fact, Jesus in Philippians tells us that when He became a man, you, you know what becoming a man was to God? He became nothing. That's how we're described. Us compared to him were nothing. It'd be like us becoming cockroaches, but even a cockroach is something. Now the beautiful thing is, is that God loves us and He cares about us and He's merciful and all those great things. But boy, we can get to the point in our lives where we go, you know what, I got the crown on my own head, man. I'm the king of my own life. And yeah, you know what? God's will is not a mystery. Samuel very clearly told Saul, this is my will. You kill everybody, you kill everything. You don't take any hostages. Samuel blew him off. At first Saul had this great humility about him. He really honored the Lord with his life. He made the choice to follow the Lord's commands, but then as time went on, he just got, I don't know, cocky began to think that he could do whatever he wanted to do without any consequences. He began to blow off God and God's will for his life. Let's Listen to this interchange between Samuel and Saul in verse 18. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the, the sinners, the Amalekites, until they were all dead. Well, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why, why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord. Saul insisted, I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops you know, brought in the best of the sheeps and the goats and the cattle and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel, Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the the, the fat of rams. I don't know if that was really Saul's intention. Maybe it was, but it didn't matter. God, it was crystal clear. Leave all the cattle, leave it all there. I was bringing it back to offer it to the Lord. And Samuel goes, God says, Through Samuel, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's better than singing songs. Let me tell you what's better than giving an offering. Let me tell you what's better than all this stuff you do. The best thing you can do is be obedient. That you live humbly and you just live in obedience. You see, it's easy. You come here and be like Saul, and you sing your songs, and you give your offering, and you walk out, and you go, I don't care really what that book says. I'm just going to do my own thing. But I sang a song to him. I gave an offering. I, I'm helping kids get into the school. I was generous, and you should be. God wants you to be generous. God wants you to come and sing. God wants you to fellowship and all these things. That's all True. But you can do all of that and walk out of here and go, yeah, nah, that's not good. No good. Not gonna do that. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out to Jesus, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. But Jesus said, no, blessed are those who hear the teaching of God and obey it. Now, that was kind of brutal. Hey, man, I was just, just trying to you know, compliment your mother, man. I mean, that's pretty cool that she gave birth to you and she got to you know, feed you at her breast. Well, you know what, as cool as that might be, let me tell you what's cooler, that you obey the teachings of my father that's what's cool. That's what matters. Well, the story ends with God anointing a new king. And that was David. And you have this unique little moment in history where you had Saul as the king, but a new king has been anointed, a young kid named David. And uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at, 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 at David. I'll end with this, verse 24. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I've sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and, 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 and did what, what they demanded. But now, please forgive my sin and come back to me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel, Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore at the hem of his robe. And Samuel, Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. Wow, that's just brutal. Beloved, Saul wasn't sorry for what he did, okay? This is the classic. He was just sorry he got caught, okay? God God knew what was inside of his heart. Instead of confessing to his sin of disobedience, he tried to shift the blame onto other people. This is one of the the great lessons that we learn from the life of Paul. Here's the deal. Saul had a great beginning and a horrible ending. In fact, his life reminds me a a lot of this king that we find in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, King Amaziah, and this is what it says. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became the king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just not wholeheartedly. He gave the Lord Sunday. Kumbaya, my Lord, yes, my Lord, And when Monday rolled around, man, he did his own thing. When he was out on the golf course, he just did his own thing. When he was with his buddies, he just did his own thing. But Sunday, he was here. Why don't you stand up? Let me pray for you. And I want you to think long and hard about what the last chapter of your life's gonna say. I know a lot of you, and right now you're in a great chapter, but the last one hasn't been written yet, be careful. Saul's a great example of somebody who started great, didn't end well. And um, hey, look, when I'm done praying, we're gonna go out, let's hang out out there, listen to Tim and Vanessa. In fact, I think they're already starting. Father, thanks for a chance to be together. I really enjoyed uh, the music tonight and I just brought my brain, my mind to you and the glories of, of my relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you for good, God-honoring music. Thank you, Lord, for the generosity of the people. I thank you in advance, Lord, for the whole outcome of this special offering. And now, God, give us a great time just fellowshipping together. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, Lord bless you. Get out there, man. Go grab a coffee.